The Jewish Trauma Network provides education, guidance, and inspiration to individuals and families suffering from trauma to help them create a better life of connection and self-actualization. I'm your host, Dr. Yosef Tropper, and my greatest wish is to bring calmness, hope, and success to your life. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I have with me a good friend, a return participant here, Israel Kleiman, and we're going to be talking about neurodivergence, personal and relational trauma. And I want to just zoom out for a minute. Some of you might have heard episode nine, which was Yisrael Kleiman's healthy yielding versus codependent enabling. The two have nothing to do with each other, although maybe there is some overlap. But if you like his style and you haven't listened to it, I definitely suggest you go back there. People really like that. And what it has to do with trauma is that when people are in a trauma framework, sometimes they don't know how to do healthy yielding and healthy codependence. What I really appreciate about Yisrael coming back is that not only does he have a tremendous amount to share with us on neurodivergence and especially about um, what we call autism spectrum disorder or what used to be um, high-functioning Asperger's, uh, which is going to be the focus of today's training. But what I really appreciate is that we're going to get an inside look in how people's brains work, which is really a main goal when I'm trying to explain how trauma percolates, happens, and how it could be dealt with. So I'm going to give an intro for you, Sorrel. And at the end, we'll include in the show notes ways that you could contact him if you think he could be helpful. And if, if you listened to the re- recording last time, you already know that Yisrael works predominantly with, with male clients, um, but he definitely you know does family s- support work and uh, could be a really helpful resource for you. So I hope you're going to gain a lot. So I'm going to introduce him just with his bio, and then I'll tell you a quick overview of what we're going to focus on today, just so you can see if it's relevant to, your, to something that you wanted to learn more about. Yisrael Joel Kleiman, LCSW is in private practice in Lakewood, New Jersey. He works with men and older Buckram, struggling with anxiety, depression, relationship issues, and of course, uh, neurodivergence. He's an adjunct professor at the Graduate School of Social Work at Toro College and is the author of Parenting by Design and You Plus Me Equals We. And we'll talk about his contact information, which will be in the show notes, and we'll talk about that at the end. Uh, good morning and welcome, Yisr- uh, Yisrael. Elioso, thanks for having me back. It's uh, had a really good time last time, so let's let's yes. have some more fun today. We're going to have fun today, and we're going to really uh, touch on a really important topic. The framework that Yisrael sent me is literally could be a book, and, and it would be an amazing one, and it's going to be a very ambitious thing today, but I really think that we're going to get a lot out of it. So we're going to talk about um, neurodivergence, symptoms, causes, which is an interesting theory that Yisrael will share, some strengths and weaknesses that come. And again, we're going to see how the personality and how people develop based on their life experiences, what it's like growing up. Uh, with Asperger's or high-functioning autism, we're going to use a lot of respectful terminology so people just understand we're talking about individuals with autism spectrum disorder or what used to be called Asperger's. There's the potential trauma and things that go wrong, which is what my clinical interest is and what I work mostly with. Then there's Asperger's and relationships, which you might be in a relationship with someone, you might be married to someone, you might have a child, a parent that that is what we call on the spectrum, and this could be very helpful to understand. Or, or it might be, or it might be, you might be the one who's somewhere on the spectrum and don't even yeah. recognize that. Yes, so, yes, that's, awesome. Thank you. Very common. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm going to actually. I'm going to circle back to that as soon as I finish this summary. But yes, thank you. I really appreciate that. We're going to talk about tips for parents and tips for spouses, which I find very practical. And I really hope we're going to get get there. We're going to talk about tips for people that have Asperger's or you know, autism. And again, we're talking about high functioning. Obviously, there this is not for people that are, are on the low functioning spectrum. Maybe there are things that can be integrated, but that, that would be a whole different training. And then the self-healing for people with Asperger's. Let me just talk about like prevalence because Israel might add to this, but I'll just tell you what my experience and research is. It, and, and neurodivergence is a very popular term nowadays. It's estimated that about 20% of the population are neurodivergent. Now, I like saying I'm neurodivergent because I think differently, but I fit under, under the category because of my experience in life, which is that I have ADHD. So therefore that makes me neurodivergent. 
virgin. I love the strengths of it, but there's also lots of drawbacks to it. Some people, some there's many types of neurodivergence, and some people say that things should be included, shouldn't be included, whether dyslexia is there, dyspraxia, ADHD, autism, Asperger's. So we're going to focus today specifically on Asperger's, but just keep in mind that there are a lot of people that come to work with Israel and with myself that, like you mentioned, very importantly, didn't know that they were on the spectrum. And all of a sudden it kind of clicks. Now, I, I will also talk about that freak out moment where, you know, where the wife says to you, oh my goodness, so my husband's on the spectrum. I always knew there was something wrong with him. Now what? And there's, there's a calm way to approach that and deal with that because there are probably very great qualities in this man or woman that you married that, that are part of their neurodivergence of how their brain works, right? As, as, as someone with ADHD, there's lots of drawbacks to that. And there's also lots of beneficial things. But anyway, you didn't come here to hear from me. You heard, you came here to, to, to hear from Israel. If you want to make any comments about that very ambitious list of things. So like you said, we'll focus today mostly on Asperger's. Again, what's now called autism spectrum disorder. Um, I think Asperger's is a better term anyways, but, and I think that it's, it, I think that it's critical to understand this stuff there are many people who don't meet criteria for autism spectrum disorder or for Asperger's, but still have Asperger's-like traits. And we I call them Asperger-y. That's, the, uh, That's an awesome terminology. And it really helps because if it sounds that way and it acts that way, then let's learn how to actually deal with it. So Right. Or 50% of that or 30% of that. There are certain things. There's the difference between a spectrum and a non-spectrum thing is that certain things either have them or you don't. Like they say, you're either pregnant or you're not. You can't right. be like 30 There's a threshold. There's a baby right. inside or not. Not even, right. Not even a threshold. It's either on or off. And then there's yeah. things which are a spectrum. You can have it more, a little, or a little more, a little less. So if you think of yeah. autism spectrum disorder, if you take that spectrum and now widen the spectrum to include all of the normal population, we can almost take every person in the world and say, okay, so how autism is this person? Like we can have the most non-autistic person in the entire world. So what I call Asperger is people who start to fall closer down on the scale of of autism. And in essence, you might not even give them a formal diagnosis. They might not qualify for formal diagnosis, but there's definitely a lot of these internal mechanisms going on that you have in autism Asperger's. It's there. So I, I okay. find it is a very helpful framework for people to think about, am I, if I don't have Asperger's, but I am, I'm an Asperger. So that's, so we're, yeah. we're in this. So we're, so we're going to talk about symptoms now. So yeah. what is this high functioning autism Right. So, so if you want to think about, again, instead of symptoms, let's think about more of like, if you want to classify someone, we're on the spectrum, they fall. What's on the non-autistic side of the spectrum? What's on the autistic side of the spectrum, as it were? So the first spectrum here is you'll have logic versus emotions. So people who are on the more, on closer to Asperger's will be, will function primarily from a more logical place. And people who are not will function more from a, an emotional place. There's also literal versus non-literal. People who are more literal are more to the uh, Asperger's side of things. There's difficulty for with social convention, which oftentimes comes with disdain for social convention. If someone ever says, why are you saying please and thank you? It's all fake anyways. That's okay. Thanks for letting me know where you fall out on the spectrum. That's like a classic. Why are we trying to all fit in with everybody else and it doesn't really matter versus the person who says, oh my gosh, we must fit in. So that's like another, that's another tell over here. There's another one, which is essence versus superficiality. And by the way, you can understand how these things go together. You can understand how emotion will combine better with social convention, will combine better with someone who superficiality, they're focused more on the surface layer than on deeper layers. But someone who's more logical might be not care about social convention so much and more care about essential things about what's really going on under the surface as opposed to something on the more of the surface layer. Okay. Is it like a, a, is it kind of something like, 
EQ, where, you know, what we call emotional intelligence, where someone that is on the spectrum might not, uh, you know, give so much weight to that or, or care Correct. about that as much. Correct. Not care about that as much and, and very often not be that skilled in that. And often, like I said, look, sometimes even look down on it and say, oh, everybody's just following the crowd. Everybody's just, you're just trying to fit in with everybody. And by them, they're looking more at what's the essence of this. And that's there by social convention, but it's there by other things as well. They'll look at something and someone will someone will see a rabbi with a long white beard and someone who's very non-Asperger will be like, oh, wow, that must be a really holy guy. And the Aspergers will be like, maybe he's just, maybe he knows nothing and maybe he's really a terrible person just he has a nice long white beard. And I actually know a guy who looks like he doesn't know anything and is the biggest Talmud Chacham ever. So this is going to be like, that's like a common type of discussion that goes yeah. on. People with Aspergers often like routines. They often can come across as robotic to other people. They're very good often with computers. They're, they Sometimes people... Think of them as, oh, you're computer-like in a sense. Again, these are just general feelings that, again, might click. You might be listening to this and say, oh, wow, that's my spouse. You just described him or her. Or you might be saying, oh, wow, you're describing me. They're often skilled at math and science. Not always. They're often skilled with math and science. There is there is tests that you can take that kind of tell you where you fall out on this, uh, on this kind of scale. If you want to think about, like, Bill Gates is like a very classic example. If you watch Bill Gates, but he talks like a little more of a flat, affect. He's very logical. He's very non-superficial. Mark Zuckerberg is like a really good example of this. He testified in front of Congress. People were like, oh, wow, he's a robot. They put a robot up there and they were controlling him because that's sometimes what it feels like. So these are people who are... Keep going with examples, by the way. I used to give those examples too. Okay, exactly. great. You got you have Elon Musk. Uh, right? That's what I was waiting for. Another great yeah. example. Uh, another great millennials. Example of, another great example of someone who's very not like this was Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was very the other way. Steve Jobs had had, had was not Asperger. He didn't present in this way. He was, he was more of a marketing guy than a tech guy, as it were. Yeah. So There was a lot of emotion um, in, 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 what he, in what he presented. Correct. So these are, and, and you could look at different public figures and you can kind of get a sense. There's that logical, looking at the essence of something type of thing. Obviously, Silicon Valley is stuff that goes with these guys because these guys are the best programmers, they're the best engineers. These are people who are engineers, the programmers, they thrive in those types of fields, mathematicians versus marketing, marketing people and people who do better in fields that are more socially focused and what matters is your social skills versus your essence like your computer doesn't care how nicely you talked it if you program it wrong it won't work uh, on the other hand right. if you're in a field that involves relationships you might have the better price and the better product but no one's going to buy from you because you're not developing the correct relationship some so some things in fields that depend more on if something essentially works or not these people thrive much better and in a field that that it's not the essence that makes the difference it's really like the relationships that make a difference that's where these people that's where these people don't thrive and people who are more on the standard, like, so to speak, the standard side of things thrive better. And then you have fields which you can get a mix. Like sometimes coaches, for example, do like sports coaches do really well when they're very technical Asperger people, but sometimes they do well when they're not. And they're like very social motivating type of people. And you get this in therapists also. There are persons who are like very warm and it's, and they just develop this connection with their clients. And there are therapists who work very much from like a technical analytical un, un, unravel the problem. And it's good that we have this, that we have this uh, diversity in, in, in the world because we need all types of people to, to live. That, that's what it is. So. And, and, and just to ask one specific question that yeah. a lot of people ask me, I'm curious how you're going to answer it. Do people with Asperger's syndrome not have feelings? Yeah. So they absolutely have feelings. Yes. All right. Yeah. That's just, that's the short and long of it. They, they absolutely do have feelings. It's, it, it might present itself differently. It might look differently. It might respond differently. Then they might be used to or size it differently, don't, but yeah, but they definitely do work have, around it in different ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Perfect. Okay, so that's that's where I think of like how do you identify? Is this me? Is this my spouse? Think along these types of lines. Yeah.
That's helpful. Okay. Okay. Do you want to go on to the next section of causes? Or you want to skip that and go to strengths and weaknesses? So, so let, we can so we can talk about. Let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. Maybe okay. Causes. So some of the strengths and weaknesses of people with Asperger's is obviously they're good at logic. They're good at analysis. Again, you want to try to engineer. You want to try to figure out why your car is not turning on or why something's not working. They'll often do quite well at that. Um, on the other hand, some of the weaknesses is that there's a social blindness that oftentimes comes or a sensory blindness. Sometimes uh, from a sensory perspective, they're not that in tune sensory. One thing that people find terribly frustrating about people with Asperger's sometimes and terribly strange on the other hand is that they're very stubborn, but they're stubborn that they'll only move based on logic. So the ways of persuasion that oftentimes work with other people, which are very often socially, which are very often running on social on, on a social engine for some of the Asperger's like that won't move them at all. Like they're like, it just doesn't do anything for them. Like the whole world could disagree with them. But if to them, logically, this is what makes sense. This is what they'll stick with. But on the other hand, the moment that they believe they're wrong, they often have the ability to flip on a dime. So they have the ability to completely change and from one second to another and say, oh, you know what? I'm wrong. And that's the end of it. So there's and people, again, people who aren't this way could find that like, confusing. Like, you're so stubborn. How are you able to change your mind so quickly? And the per person with Asperger's says, I don't know what you want. I, I wasn't being stubborn. I was right. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. And that's the end of it. So it's to them, it's like, well I'm not said. stubborn. Oftentimes there's a certain detachment, like you had mentioned, the detachment from emotions doesn't mean they're not having them. There's a detachment. There's a there's, they're often not seduced by emotions. Again, again, this is this doesn't apply across the board, but again, for a lot of people, emotions take them and shift them and move them to do certain things. People with Asperger's are less influenced often by their emotions or by emotional aspects of something. They'll be able to look at it more logically, more kind of straightforward without the emotions playing such a big part. They can often be very self-reliant. They'll oftentimes have routines. And another big tip off is that they're often very focused on fairness. So they're very fair. They're very fair to other people, and they demand fairness for themselves. I mean, social justice them, piece. That's what very, I call it. Right. Correct. It's not even right. Social justice is a very broad term, but I'm, yeah. I'm saying that just in, in many things, they'll be very fair, very often be very fair and very honest to a T and very focused on fairness. So that's like some of the strengths and weaknesses. So again, we need all types of people in the world. We have computers have to be programmed and people have to be able to greet people and make them feel comfortable and have relationships. So there's there's different things that we need in life. When you want to talk about the causes of Asperger's, there's obviously a lot of literature on this and a lot of thoughts. For me, personally, I always try to ask myself if there's a way to conceptualize something having a single cause. And I, I've done a lot of work on this. And I think that one of the ways that we can perhaps conceptualize a cause of Asperger's or this type of, of way of being is by looking at something called sensory processing. So sensory processing is about your ability to accurately perceive the physical world around you using your senses, okay? So imagine for a moment you're driving a car and it has the, the thing that tells you how full the gas tank is, okay? And let's say that's like a little defective. So you fill up your tank and it shows that it's full. Then you drive around, you like a whole bunch and it's still full. And then all of a sudden you're driving one morning and now it drops to half. And then it stays there for a while and one day drops to a quarter, okay? So, so we would call this sensor roughly synced. It's not completely off. It's not insane. It doesn't show full when it's empty, but it doesn't really move so accurately with, it's like moves in big jumps. It moves, yeah. but only in big rough amounts. It gives you like a general sense, but it's not perfectly accurate. But a finally synced sensor, use a tiny little gas, like today's cars, you have 322 miles. You have now 318 miles. Now you have 315 miles. That's what you would call a finely synced sensor. Okay. So the same thing happens with people. Some people have a finely synced sensory processing system. The room's 40 degrees they feel very cold. If it's 60, they feel mildly cold. 70, they're comfortable. 75, it's a bit warm with their feelings, with their taste, with their smell, 
with all of their social, with all of their sensory apparatus, what they see, what they hear. If something's loud, they heard it's very loud. If it's a little less loud, it's a little less loud. And they notice this and they're aware of this. And then there's people who have a roughly sync system. If it's 40, they're very cold. If it's 60, they're also very cold. 70, all of a sudden they're comfortable. And when it goes to 75, all of a sudden they're like boiling. But that's only on some days. Other days, they're comfortable at 75, 70, and 60. And at 55, all of a sudden they're freezing. So we would call this like a roughly sync system. So I think that people are born with a sensory system that's either roughly synced or finely synced, okay? And I think this is just a, a temperament, right? So again, we have this long hallway and at one end, we put all the people with the well-synced systems, their sense of sight, hearing, taste, smell, touch, vestibular system that that, that gives you, that tells you your balance and spatial orientation, proprioception, which is the relative position of the parts of your body and how the strength of your effort and movement, they're all finely synced. At the other end of the hallway are people with very roughly synced systems. And then most people are in between the two ends of the, this hallway, okay? So let's take a person from one end and a person from the other end, and let's notice what might happen to them as they grow up and develop. Let's follow them. Let's peek in their lives, right? So the sink baby comes home from the hospital, okay? She's very uncomfortable. She feels uncomfortable, and she cries when she's hungry. And she feels very uncomfortable and cries a lot when she's very hungry. So depending on how hungry is, that's how much she cries. She feels good when she's dry and fed and complains when she's wet. She's really an easy baby to work with because she communicates effectively to what her needs are, right? Mom and dad, they sound the same to her every time. She touches objects and gets used to how they feel. She sees things and she gets used to how they look. She moves her arms and legs around and gets used to what that's like because things always feel the same. She starts building a very accurate picture of the world around her. Her intuition about the physical world grows very quickly and easily because when she touches something, if it's the same object, it feels the same every time. So she's able to avoid situations that feel uncomfortable and move towards or communicate her needs for situations that feel comfortable, right? She's in bed at night and she's a little cold. She puts the blanket over herself a little more. She's able to very effectively manage her environment to be able to give herself comfort, okay? Yeah. She grows older. She's able to recognize expressions on other people's faces and the body language they're showing when they're feeling something. She's seeing that. She's noticing that. She gets skilled at understanding and reading the people around her and effortlessly and intuitively knows what will make them happy or upset? Because she's reading this and she just sees it. You know, she's able to see. She has a good, clear, sharp lens. Now, for this baby, the world is a safe, predictable, and comforting place to be, okay? Leaving aside, obviously, obviously, if her parents have issues and she's abused, whatever, we're leaving that out for a moment. We're just talking just this person's experience without any of that going on. Now that's, let's other, go to the that's other podcasts that we deal right, with all exactly. this. <laughs> I'm sure you've got a lot to talk about that, right? Now let's look at an unsynced baby. She can be wet and hungry and she might not notice it. And all of a sudden... Boom, she feels extremely uncomfortable and starts freaking out. And then when she's fed and chained, she doesn't necessarily notice it right away, right away, some of the time. And she doesn't come down for some time. She's a tough baby, right? Sometimes mom sounds one way, sometimes a different way. It's difficult for her to get a stable sense of what voice is mom. Sometimes she notices mom smiling, sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she's uncomfortable with some other issue, the light in the room. And sometimes she's too distracted to notice mom. So this gets in the way of her connecting with her mother. Objects, gravity, her body, hard to predict. Sometimes it feels one way, sometimes it feels another way. Hard to get an accurate sense of what feeling means. She can't read faces or body language well. There's little clue as to what other people do or don't like. Social relationships and her skills are not well developed and the world becomes a very unsafe, unpredictable, and uncomfortable place to be. Interesting. Pretty rough experience, right? This is yeah. as an infant, without cognitive, without thinking about anything. This is what's automatically, okay? So now let's go back to the car. So let's say I had a roughly synced gas sensor. Okay, obviously what's happened, you've been stranded a few times in the middle of the highway by running out of gas, right? You left your house, instead we got a quarter tank. But really, there was like a tiny bit left, you're on the highway and now you're running out of gas, right? So what are you gonna start doing? 
So for starters, you're going to be far more anxious. You get in your car. Do I have enough gas? Do I not? Can I take this trip? Do I need to fill up? Do I not need to fill up? You don't have a good sensor. You don't have a good gauge telling you how much gas you have. You're going to feel anxious about that. And you might also develop rigid routines about filling up your car. You might decide to fill up every Sunday or every time after a long trip or every time the gauge gets to half because your sensor is roughly saying the only way to feel safe is to develop and stick to rigid routines that aren't necessarily related to what's happening in the world. You might be filling up your tank when it's 75% full. You're crazy. That's ridiculous. But you don't have a choice because you don't really know how much gas is in there. Okay? Someone with a finely tuned sensor looks at you like you're off the wall. What are you doing? Like, why are you filling up your tank when it's three quarters full? But they have the luxury of flexibility. They know when they're running out of gas. And they can respond to it and take care of it. They're that guy who's driving home and the thing says 21 miles and the GPS says you have 17 miles to get home. And they say, I'm going to make it. And then tomorrow morning, I'll fill up. They can pull off that shtick. You can't do that if you have a roughly synced sensor. When your thing says 23 miles, you might have one mile left. You might have 70. You don't really know, right? The routines become your lifelines. Without them, you're drifting without an anchor, right? In, in a very unsafe world. As you can imagine, this is the very essence of what we would constitute autism and Asperger's, right? Someone with Asperger's has this sense of oftentimes rigidity around certain routines. On, on, on the very end, on like severe autism, there's a lot of routines. Like the kid decides yellow is a good color and black's a bad color. There's a book called The Strange Story of the Dog in the Night, I believe. And it's written from the perspective of a kid with autism about his life. And like yellow is good, red is bad. If he sees three yellow cards on the way to school, it's going to be a great day. Three red cards would be a horrible day. Like one yellow card would be pretty good because you have to develop these routines, these rigid rules, and sometimes like these superstitious things to get some sort of sense of safety or predictability about the world around you. Another yeah, thing is that you're going to become really skilled at logical processing. So again, if you if your sensor in your car tells you how many miles you have left, you don't have to sit and start calculating, okay, so this is how much fuel allows, how much gas, because it just says. But if you have a bad sensor, you have to start saying to yourself, okay, one second. I filled up last Monday. I got, my bill was $42. Gas was $2.59 a gallon. That means I got X amount of gallons in my car. The car gets about X per gallon on the highway, X per gallon on the road. I drove there. That's about right. You're, you're going to be much better at making these calculations because you have to. When you have a camera that has a great lens, you don't need a chip that does great processing. But if you have a camera that gives a fuzzy image, you might need a really great logic chip to process the image that came in. So it's almost like a coping mechanism. I have a rough processor, so I need a great backup, an internal processor to process. And that's why people with Asperger's do really well in situations where there's very little sensory data coming in, and most of the skill is in the processing. So when you think about chess, when you see a chess move, that's one piece of data. Where did the piece move? That's it. Just one piece of sensory information. The rest goes on inside your head. When you think about social interaction, huh? there's every second, how does the person's face look? What do their lips look like? Their eyes? Are they smiling? Are they not smiling? What's their body language? There's tons of sensory data coming in and very little internal processing information. So yeah. people with Asperger's often do well when there's a little sensory data and a lot of processing versus a lot of sensory data, and a little processing. That's yeah, that's amazing. And, and we'll probably understand that more as you give a parable. I like how you use the gas parable and turns it into some of the rigid routines. But right. obviously there's a, there's a lot of other parables that you mean when you talk about their rigidity and what they process. But what I want to say is that just zooming out from a trauma perspective, what you're describing is actually exactly how trauma works. Meaning even in that girl who was born without any uh, neurodivergence, yes. when she got mugged or something terrible happened to her, so her brain lens actually starts to see things differently. And then she starts to be hypervigilant at night and having panic attacks, Correct. et cetera. Correct. So it's the exact same thing. Correct. 
But this is almost like, if you want to think about this, is like, I don't know if you've discussed with your audience, like big T trauma and small T trauma, but they're big, exciting trauma. There's like the small, little traumatic events of a kid said something nasty to me, which can build up. Almost like when when you have a sensory unsynced system, you have tons of small T trauma building up across your entire life domain experience. It's not just when I go out at night. It's not just when I go to social events. It's everywhere. You're, you in the world itself is to a certain degree traumatic to you because the, the world itself, you're not comfortable right. in the world. So that's, it's small, but it's there ever present. So it's much broader and much more pervasive. And you end up with a whole personality style, as it were. Like this is, yeah. And, and also just to explain the difference between trauma and neurodivergence is that neurodivergence is a biological predisposition and what they call a developmental disorder, but it's a person's born that way. And the question always becomes, why is this adaptive from an evolutionary psychology standpoint, which right. has nothing to do with how the how you believe the world was created. Now it's a religious thing. It's just, there's always, we're always trying to adapt. So what you're explaining is that there is actually some neurological aspect that's, that's influencing this, but the, a lot of these strengths are actually adaptions and make for more functional human beings, just like ADHD is an adaptive. Again, there's a lot of more Asperger's children being born in the world today than there used to be. And the reason is because in today's day and age, people with Asperger's who are excellent at logical analysis do really well in computers and they make a lot of money. And people who make a lot of money are higher status socially. And they end up getting spouses at a much higher rate than people who don't, right? So in the past, someone with Asperger's might've been like, oh, you're not good at working in the field. So you can't get a mate and you don't have children. And today, all these people are getting married and having kids. And, and obviously, the rate of Asperger's and autism in Silicon Valley, the children, because the men and the women are marrying each other, is like way off the charts. Like, it's like, it's, it doesn't, there's no chart for it. I lived there for a year. Okay, well, there you go. Then you must know every guy who walks in, every guy you meet is like this, right? Because, it, right? It was, a, and, it was a fascinating, it was a fascinating experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And people are very blunt and they're very, what people without Asperger's would say they're rude. And they would be like, no, it's refreshing. People are honest. You'd be like, oh, you look right. ugly today. I'd be like, thank you so much for telling me. Those are like the conversations you'll hear. And right. everybody's happy and, with that. Exactly. And and, yeah. and 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 it's an adaptive thing. Again, it's not, you're not married to a robot. You're not married to someone that doesn't have feelings. It's just, the question is, what's the currency? What, what's the most important thing for this person? And and trusting themselves and being aware of logic is is, is something that they're giving. How do, they, yeah. how do they function in the world to feel safe? feel okay imagine if you went blind and deaf you'd feel like you'd feel you'd, you wouldn't want to get out of bed it'd be literally really scary place someone like that who doesn't have logic can't use their logic they the world's a very scary place it's like they use their logic as a sense yeah. there's a you can actually the video on youtube if you look it up it's people using echolocation blind people using echolocation they click with their tongue every second or so and they hear the what it sounds like and these there's a video on youtube you can watch of people riding bikes who are blind using echolocation. They can describe their environment around them. People with Asperger's use logic as a kind of sense. It's a sense that makes up for other senses. And there's actually, there was a great story in Mishpacha magazine years ago. I, I asked them to email it to me and I printed it out for some of my clients where a guy describes getting married, having poor social skills because of his Asperger's and then using his logic to literally brute force a social skills from a different perspective. Yeah. And he was extremely successful. I ended up with a very successful marriage and that's him using his logic to compensate for his lack of social skills. And that's yeah, how we so. that's how we ended up here because you started mentioning that article and I said we should do a training about it. So <laughs> there you go. So okay. exactly, this is the training. <laughs> this yeah, is I'll, the I'll email I'll email that to you and you can maybe give that to people. Sure. That is a phenomenal story. Phenomenal, beautiful story. Amazing. Okay. Very helpful. So, what are we up to now? Okay. So Spencer. growing up Asperger's. So growing okay. up Asperger's, there's oftentimes social isolation, poor connection with adults. They're often correct in their logical analysis. This is the kid in class who knows more than the teacher 
and actually is right. And the teacher can't, the teacher can't deal with it and gets upset at him. And then the kid becomes like disillusioned that all adults are a bunch of liars. And they just say stuff to pretend like they know what they're talking about when they don't. Starts to distrust authority. There's feelings of loneliness. There can be feelings of overwhelm. The sensory can be very overwhelming. And a lot of times they'll have their hobbies and obsessions. A lot of times they'll have a friend or two or three who are like this. It's great. If they don't, they'll be very lonely. And a lot of times it's that they can't make friends. And sometimes it's what's been very healing for a couple of my clients is that they grew up with, they, they always felt, oh, I can't, I can't make friends. And then we look back on their life and we notice that, forget about that, but they don't necessarily even want to be friends with some of the people who weren't like them because those people were into things that to them, they found completely uninteresting. Like they were into like all this superficial stuff and they found it ridiculous. So that's, so that's a, that's a, that's part of what growing up Asperger's. It can, it can be very difficult for some people. Obviously, if you're in the right environment, it can be wonderful. If someone grows up in Silicon Valley and three quarters of your class is like this and the schools are set, everybody knows how all the kids work and everybody knows how everybody works, then it can be a lovely experience. But for a lot of people, it's not necessarily a lovely experience. And the potential trauma and the things that go wrong are shame from adults and peers. Why do you have to be so stubborn? Why do you think you know better than everybody else? No one wants to be your friend. Why are you so weird? Why are you so weird socially? Why are you so lack of emotional connection and having a rich social emotional life? They can be, again, come across oppositional defiant. They can they can fail and have failure to launch. That's the kids who are 30 playing video games in their mom's basement. This is, again, because they'll get into certain sometimes niche areas or hobbies or obsessions that don't necessarily translate to success out there in the world. And sometimes they're, they are amazing, brilliant at certain things, but they can't do well in a company because a lot of times in a company you have to do well politically. They'll create an amazing product, but they can't sell it to anybody because they walk into a sales meeting and start quote unquote, insulting the guy, which to them, it's like, they're just being honest. They're like, your company's terrible. With my product, you'll do great. And the guy, that's not how you want to talk in a sales meeting, but they won't necessarily get that. Look at Elon Musk's tweet history. Exactly. Right. Oh, yeah. That's phenomenal. Exactly. Phenomenal example of that, right? Like how much better would the guy do if he would contain himself in certain ways and not say certain things, right? Brilliant engineer, but, but and then there are other people who have worked it out. I would say that Bill Gates probably logically read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And probably got really good at that book from a logical perspective. And he knows what yeah. to say and what not to say. And again, there are Asperger's people who do amazing with this. They'll read books like that, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And they'll learn this as, they'll learn social relationships as a system. And a lot of times they'll be ridiculously skilled at it. But again, coming from a totally different angle. Sometimes there's anxiety, depression, OCD. ADHD is oftentimes comorbid with this. So this is part of where things can go wrong or there can be trapped. Okay, so let, let's now look at Asperger's in relationship, okay? So Asperger's yeah, relationship with someone with good, Asperger's. That's a good segue. Yeah, Asperger's relationship with someone with Asperger's oftentimes goes well, assuming that both of them don't have significant trauma because they both kind of connect. But when people who are Asperger's in a relationship with someone else who's not Asperger's, then you're right, you have the good and the bad. So the good is that they're oftentimes very practical, they're great problem solvers. It's almost like the stereotypical males. Take a male and, you know, multiply him, dilute him, not dilute him. Take like out the emotional part. Concentrate it, yeah. They're often very kind and good at heart and they have great intentions. They're, they can often fight fair, even when other people aren't. They can be in a very difficult fight and oftentimes fight fair. They won't cheat in a fight. They won't misbehave in a fight. They're oftentimes very programmable. And we'll talk about that a little later. But <laughs> sometimes it's difficult to program people. Other people with Asperger's are oftentimes very easily programmable. I mean, we'll, we'll get there. If you, you have to know the right commands to give. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something yeah. in my experience. I've been working with these seven couples are usually one person hat is almost right. spectrum, though, isn't what I find very fascinating, which is why I asked you the emotion and tell me, I'm wondering what your experience is also, is that when their partner is not fighting fair, they will have an extremely large freak emotional out. outburst. They will freak yeah. out. They will freak emotional out. Emotional 
tears right. screaming sometimes. They will freak out. They're done. Because if someone's not fighting fair and logic and fairness isn't ruling the day, it's almost like I walked over to you and made you blind and deaf. Uh, you're done. You're like, you're out. You're like, well, how are you going to function right now? And I said, go cook Shabbos. I, I, I made you blind enough and said, okay, go here. You're in the kitchen now. Go cook Shabbos. You're like, what the heck, right? You wouldn't be able to function. You'd freak out. To them, the second someone starts signing fair, it's like, that's what you've done to me. And now you want me to function in this experience. And, and, like, I'm out. And when, like, take, out. and when you, exactly, when you apply that to the typical male and female situation where the man feels like you're not being reasonable and therefore he's freaking out. And the woman's like, you're not listening to my needs and my emotions. So she's freaking out. Then each of them, the more that they do their thing in the yes. dance, in the Asperger's dance, the more the more damned the, the relationship becomes. Correct. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I spoke about the good. We'll talk about the bad. The bad is yeah. that they can oftentimes be inattentive. So again, there's oftentimes ADHD comorbid with this forgetting, not noticing what needs to be done. They'll often be self-absorbed. Again, they've lived a life where they've got to stay safe. They have to make sure that they're situated well in the world. And you'll get this with trauma. Also a certain often self-absorption. Sure. Even people who are who have trauma and they've turned into people pleasers, it's like a self-absorption, right? It's I'm pleasing people to make sure they like me. It's yeah. about me ultimately. There's a, a lot of times they won't care or notice social convention. That's like the fight where she's like, don't wear that or don't, don't do that in public. And he's like, who cares? What's the big deal? It makes me comfortable to wear my red heated vest at the wedding so i'm gonna wear it and she's like you look like a freak and he's like so who cares what people think what so i should feel uncomfortable because they don't intuitively pick up on emotions and oftentimes they're not naturally uh, empathic so this these are challenges like you said it's oftentimes the woman who's not and the man who is so and and and, and just to to two things so in what you described there's amazing things that people are going to gain a lot from, but I think it's more like 75% of the problems and, and the challenges, maybe 25% solutions. We're going to spend you know the rest of our time focusing on solutions. Let's get to um, solutions, yes. And, and, and I want to just in, in relationship, I want to say one thing if you're comfortable. Could you talk a little, could you make a comment about sexuality with Asperger's? Meaning, obviously, some of the clients that I work with who are on the spectrum sometimes are asexual or sometimes there's just sexual issues. Is that part of the whole dynamic of, of Asperger's or is that something that you deal with? I wouldn't necessarily consider that specifically as part of Asperger's. Again, keep in mind that, that people who, who their sensory functioning, like we said, is misaligned. So obviously sexual relationships have a lot to do with sensory functioning. So sometimes yeah. that can be often have an effect. Sometimes, again, it could have an effect with connecting emotionally and their ability to notice the per other person's emotion. The self-absorption self can get in the way. Fairness can get in the way here. So I wouldn't like necessarily say, hey, there's something very specific to talk about, but all these elements come into play in the realm of sexuality, like it would Got with it. any other area of the relationship. But I don't, I, I can't say I have anything intelligent to say specifically about sexuality. So okay, fine. Thank you. Fine. So let's start with, we'll do with tips for parents if you're raising a child yep. like this. And one thing I want to just say is that sometimes with high functioning autism, it's not diagnosed right away, as opposed to autism spectrum disorder, which usually, you know, right away. Correct. Um, right. Sometimes. So, and, and that also makes it tricky. So again, like Asbury people oftentimes don't have a diagnosis and, and they shouldn't get a diagnosis. They shouldn't. So the, the really interesting thing is that People who are married to people with Asperger's and they're not, oftentimes they'll have a kid who's Asperger's because these temperaments are genetic and they're like, oh my gosh, my son is just like my husband. And it freaks them out because first of all, they don't know how to deal with the kid. And second of all, they're terrified, like what's going to happen when he gets married? And then things go very badly from there. The Asperger's parent with the Asperger's kid, it's very often, it's it's great. The angels are singing. They're both super logical. They're both super practical. They're like, they really connect. It's like, yeah, no, I get you. I get you. We're good. It's when, the, it's when the non Asperger's parent starts working with the kid who's more Asperger's. That's where things get tricky. Now, tricks for parents is the first thing is to recognize that an Asperger's kid's stubbornness is a survival mechanism. He's not being stubborn because he's not being nice or he should just shut up and behave. 
it, it, you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna yell it out of the kid. You're not gonna punish it out of the kid. You're not gonna explain it out of the kid. It's just not gonna work. This is how the kid survives in the world. This is his ability to function. The stubbornness, sometimes the inattentiveness. This is a feature of who the kid is. Don't shame him over it. Don't make him feel bad for being stubborn. Don't make him feel bad for being inattentive. Don't make him feel bad for not noticing. What, what do you want the guy to do? This is how he was born. And there's really nothing you can do about it. Don't shame him over it. You're not going to win and you're just going to destroy your relationship and you're just going to traumatize the kid. Okay. Okay. Now, what can you do? The first one is use exceedingly clear boundaries. Be rude. So back in the day when I used to work with kids and parents of kids, I don't do that work anymore, but I would get a lot of parents of kids who were like this. And one mother would say she comes to her son's bedroom in the morning and she says, it's time to get up. And then he doesn't get up. And I said, I'll tell you why. I said, because for him, the words, it's time to get up. You didn't tell him that you want him to get up. You gave him a piece of information. It's time to get up. And he's okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for letting me know that it's time to get up. I said, what you have to say to him is get out of bed right now. Sit up, put your feet on the floor and get out of bed. So be rude, be very clear and rude and explicit as to what you want. Not a lot of explaining, not a lot of hinting, like politeness is hinting. When I say, oh, I noticed that the door is open. I'm telling you to shut the door. When someone asks me, I'd be like, oh, if you say to them, I noticed the door's open, they'd be like, oh, that's cool that you noticed that the door's open. So they're not going to see it, that as- Why don't you do something about it? Why, no, why they won't even do that. No, like they won't even do that. And, right. And if you say to them, why don't you do something? If you say, like, hey, the door's open and they just like, don't do anything, you'd be like, hey, why don't you do something about it? And they're like, the reason I wouldn't do anything about that at this point, they'll like, they'll answer your question. They're not going to get oftentimes the connotation. And this is one of the biggest ones. I tell my kid all the time, no, you haven't told the kid. You've told the kid in a way that works for you, but he hasn't heard you because he doesn't process that way. The more explicit that you are, the more rude you are, please go close the door, is, is going to get you a lot more mileage with a kid like this. Very clear, crystal clear boundaries. The more the boundaries are unclear or uncertain, that's where you run into issues. Yeah. Validate his emotions and logic. So he's going to have emotions and he's going to have logic. Try. It can be difficult. Try to hear him out. And the most important thing is, I would say, be fair. So if you're actually wrong, back down. Parents are a little afraid of being wrong. And sometimes these kids are right and the parent is wrong. If the kid gets in you wrong, you should actually celebrate that. That's a good opportunity to show your kid that you deal in good faith, which to them is going to be everything. So if when you're wrong, you say, you know what, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. And then back down. That's going to be tremendously validating. Now, they will use it against you in the freezer. They'll be like, you're wrong last time. Maybe you're wrong this time. And they'll do that. But the mileage that you get out of it is, is far more than the cost that you have. Um, nice. It's important to tell social stories. So tell stories about here's what happened and here's what this person was thinking. And that's what I think that person was thinking. This is what I was thinking. By telling these stories, you're helping train their logical brain to think socially, again, to make up for the lack of social skills and educate the child that they're different. It's okay to let them know your, your brain works differently. Here are your strengths. Here are your weaknesses. Instead of them being confused to why does everybody, why does all the other kids just become popular instantly or be able to get along in a group instantly. And for me, it's difficult. Why is everybody find this and that interesting? And I find these stuff interesting and nobody else. It's okay to say, this is how I made you a certain way. There's great things about it. You're like that. You're like that. <laughs> and there's weaknesses that come with it. And there's, and this is who you are. It's again, for a kid with Asperger's, it's so comforting to know this is who I am in the world. I can't tell you how many clients I work with and we go through this and they're like, oh my gosh, my life makes sense now. Right? So if you can give your kid that experience from the outset, that's an incredible thing that you can do for them. There's also, we don't have time for this. Maybe I could send you a description of this. There's a game I created called Vanilla Ice Cream, which I recommend parents play with their kids and their families. It's a phenomenal game and it teaches social thinking and it tricks Asperger's kids into getting good socially. 
actually give you the 60 second Cliff Notes version of it. So in vanilla ice cream, everybody has two cards, uh, two A and B, okay? And, or you can do three cards, A, B, and C. And then there's one person who asks a question and they can ask any question in the world. And they can say, for example, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla or strawberry, right? Vanilla or strawberry, like they're giving two choices. And then all the other players in the game secretly have to pick an answer, A or B, or you can give three choices, A, B, or C, okay? And after everybody's chosen their answer, they don't tell everybody what they're choosing. After they've chosen their answer, everybody turns over their choice, shows everybody what their choice is. And the way you get a point in the game is if you're in the majority of people, you get a point. If you're in the minority, you don't get a point. So imagine a family that has like five girls and three boys, okay? So when you play vanilla ice cream, and then like the parents being the leader, the parent says, okay, who's smarter, boys or girls, A or B? So, and everybody has to write down their little answer on the paper. Now, obviously if there's five girls, so the majority of the girl, the majority of people are gonna be like, oh, the girls are smarter, right? If the boy wants a point, he has to write down girls are smarter because that's gonna be the majority. So this trains him to think socially, to say, what's everybody else thinking? So, and, and then you start asking questions where kids start getting much more sophisticated. Like you ask a question where the room is split 50-50, but they know that one of the kids is like a little worried that other people won't agree with him. And then there's like kids who are what we call suicide bombers. Oh, that kid's gonna, he's so young, he doesn't understand. He's gonna pick what he wants anyways. And then they start to get, because they're really good at game playing. They're good at rule following. They're good at problem solving. So now this becomes a problem solving and you keep playing rounds of this. And this teaches them. And then in social situations, you could say to them, they'll talk about something that went on. We're like, oh, and the whole class was so wrong about this. And I was the one who was right. But even though I was right, they listened to my sheet because everybody agreed with them. You'd be like, oh, so it was like a vanilla ice cream situation. And boom. And if you've played the game, then it's, oh, now they can transfer the skill over. They can transfer over that skill that they learned in the game playing of figuring out what works to, to this situation. So I can, again, send you a longer description of it. Cool. That's vanilla ice cream. It's an amazing game to train little kids and play with your family if you have kids like this. And maybe. maybe train your husband. I don't think this way too. Okay. Let's look for okay. some tips and spouses. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. The tips for spouses is the first thing is to recognize that you can buy an iPhone and you can buy an Android device. An iPhone is great because it just works, but it's very not customizable. And an Android device is very customizable, but it doesn't just work out of the box. When you have a spouse with Asperger's, you have an Android spouse. You have a spouse who doesn't necessarily work the way you want it out of the box. However, you can program them. And the first thing that you'll need to do is you'll need them more. So you'll need them more in the fact that they won't effortlessly be what you dreamed of marrying. They won't be the spouse who just effortlessly reads your feelings and is romantic and knows what you want. It's That's not there. And you have to mourn that. That's something to be sad about and to cry about and to mourn and grieve that loss. And once you've done that, then you can say, hold on one second. There's tremendous things that I can get here. Because if you give your spouse explicit, clear instructions, you will get much better response than if you get from someone who isn't Asperger. So someone who's Asperger's, you can give them very clear instructions. You could say to them, hey, I'm gonna make a list of things that are important to me around the house. If you can every Sunday take two things from the list, please, not if you can, please every Sunday take two things from the list and do them. And that will make me very happy. Your Asperger spouse will be far more likely to do that than someone who's gonna be non-Asperger. So if you program them and explain them explicitly what you want, and that it's important to you, and you tell them, this is what I want, this is important to me, please do this for me, you will get a great response rate from your spouse. So don't shame them. If you shame them, then you put them down, then they're going to then they're gonna have to defend themselves mentally by, by putting you down and saying, oh, they're so superficial, and they're not focused on, on the truth. They're just focused on superficiality and what everybody else thinks. 
And then you end up in that spiral of death in your relationship. So it's more about respecting them for who they are, giving clear, explicit instructions of what you want, what you need, what's important to you, praising and giving positive reinforcement when you get what you want. And Asperger's people do really well in a social relationship that doesn't have hidden pitfalls. There's no gotchas. There's no secret pieces. There's no, I really meant this when I said that. And when I say that, if you get used to saying what you mean and meaning exactly what you say, they will take you for your word. And if you praise them for doing the things that you're asking them to do, they'll be very responsive to you. And a lot of times you can, they can turn out to be really amazing in that way. So there's a tremendous benefit to that. Again, if you stay away from the, stay away from having hyacinths for their self-initiated social emotional functioning, that they're going to spontaneously out of nowhere, read your mood. And die. But if you tell them a rule that, hey, honey, when I come home from work, please every day ask me about how my day went. And then when I tell you a story, don't try to solve it. Please listen to the story and then make noises like, ah, when you hear that thing and tell me what you guess I might be feeling. They'll do that every day really consistently, especially if after they do that, you say, hey, that felt really good. Please do that again. So you get, you can get a tremendous amount of customizability out of your spouse if you give up on the expectation that they're going to be what you need them to be automatically out of the box in a sense. Listen and be willing to have them open the world to you. Get really curious about what they know and love. Get curious about the things that they find important, their hobbies. This is good advice in any relationship. But in Asperger's relationship, it can feel for the non-Asperger's spouse, like how long can I listen to them talk about the planets? How long can I listen to them talk about that stuff? But very often that is the window into their emotional world when they talk about their obsessions and their planets. Why is this so important to you? Why do you love this? What do you love about it? You can start to get a much deeper connection with your spouse. So that's really what spouses of people with Asperger's, um, these are the things that will help them do well with their spouses. And again, the same things with the tips for kids. Be fair, back down when you're wrong. Be rude, be explicit. You don't have to worry about telling someone with Asperger's, hey, your hairstyle looks ugly, you should get another one. Very often they won't be insulted. You can cut through a lot of the things that elephants in the room that people don't want to talk about. They'll be very often much more willing to talk about elephants in the room. And they'll often be, again, excellent problem solvers and be able to support you in situations where you're being swept away by emotions and can't function. A lot of times they'll do very well when the family's in a crisis. A lot of times they'll do very well because they don't, they won't get overwhelmed by those emotions. They'll be able to function extremely well in high stress, high pressure situations. They'll be cool, calm, and collected. So that's, these are some of the tips for spouses and for parents of people with Asperger's. Um, Amazing. Tips for people with themselves with Asperger's is, it's really important to understand all the people who don't have Asperger's, okay? And the, one of the metaphors that, I, one, of the, one of the kind of the examples I give you, so if I'm talking to you and you yourself identify like this, and you look down on all the people out there who are so superficial and they just care about what everybody else thinks, and they don't even recognize what the reality is, what's truth, and you're like a little bitter about that. Uh, let me give you perhaps what might be a useful other perspective. Imagine for a moment that there's an army and there's 10 people in this army and all 10 soldiers got split up on one day and they're all in separate locations. And the next day they have to go fight together. They can't communicate. If all of them are playing vanilla ice cream, all of them are wondering what is the other person thinking and trying to go and find the spot where most people would think is the best spot to fight. They'll all end up on the same place on the battlefield. They'll all end up at the top of the highest hill. The top of the highest hill is the best tactical spot. But if all of them are thinking what's really the best spot, they might say, for this battle, the top of the hill is not the best spot. It's actually behind that rock at the bottom. And here's 95 calculations why. Each one will have their own calculation. So in situations where you need social coherence, where you need a group to get along, it's actually much more advisable to not look at what's objectively inherently true. It's much more advisable to look at what looks like is true, what is superficially true. Because if you use that as your metric, then 
all the other people who are using that as well will just end up in the same place. So if you have a group and the group has to agree on something and get along together, if all of us are looking and saying what looks like the best decision, we'll have a much better time at getting social coherence and social agreeableness and the group to work together. And a lot of times a group working together, even if they're wrong, they don't have the best solution, will do a lot better than 10 individuals working, each one with their own idea of what's right. So the people who aren't Aspergery are prioritizing social harmony as the overarching goal. And there's tremendous benefits and there's cases where it works. It doesn't work to program a computer. Everybody could agree that the computer should work, but if it's wrong, but there are many cases where it does work incredibly well. And this is how everybody else is living. So it's not that they're just superficial idiots. It's more that they're automatically prioritizing social coherence and social harmony as a goal and working towards that. And that's how they process the world. They process the world along the lines of not what's inherently true, but what is the thing that most people will think it's true. Okay, so you can look down at them, but it's going to increase your social isolation. And you have to understand that just as the, the way that you're objective in how you look at the world, the other people's subjectivity is unavoidable for them. There's nothing they can do about them. So just like you can't do anything about the fact that you work on logic, they can't do anything that they work on the social harmony operating system. That is their operating system of how they process the world. So the three magical words, by the way, that you can add to any question to understand a non-Asperger's perspective on something is to say, for the purposes of social harmony, and then ask your question. And then you'll actually get a useful answer, as opposed to trying to ask them a question, in which case you probably won't understand their answer. Or take their answer and add those words for social harmony. Or any question that you get asked, if they're asking you a question, you want to what they really want to know very often is, just add those words for social harmony. And then you'll be able to give an accurate answer to understand what's going on. Use your superior logic skills to help understand their world. Use their, your superior logicals to observe and attack social convention. It will help you read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People. You're good. You're a good programmer. Learn how to program social situations. Learn how to become a social engineer. Learn how to program those things, and you'll do really well. Stop trying to change the world and minds with logic. It's not going to work. It's not the operating system. You're giving Windows commands to a Linux computer. It just doesn't work. Learn how to communicate in a way that actually works for the people around you as opposed to just doing it your way because it should work that way. Again, focus on trying to make other people happy, that you're going to avoid the trap of being low social status, and try to spend some time with your internal logic computer off. It's called mindfulness. It will be very difficult in the beginning, but it will help you a lot as you move along. And spend some time focusing on observing your surroundings. Again, it's going to be hard and it will pay off. But really, my message to you, if you are this way yourself, is to recognize that this is yet another problem to solve. It's a logical problem to solve. How does the world work? How does social convention work? Heck, how does your spouse work? How do they think? How do they operate? What triggers them reliably? What doesn't trigger them? How can you communicate in a way that they will understand and, and you'll be able to understand what they want? So that's that's tips for you and how to function in the world. And in regards to self-healing, the more that you let your own emotions flow, the more you're going to become balanced out, the more that you're able to soothe yourself and to go back to some of the situations when you were a younger self that were traumatic to you, sometimes not necessarily in a big T way, but in a, like a small tree way. And to soothe that younger part of yourself, that can be very helpful. So sometimes it can be therapy, it can be a self-help book, but some of the inner work on soothing your inside self, soothing the part of you that feels uncomfortable, alone, isolated, not steady, not okay in the world, soothing that part of yourself and allowing yourself to feel the emotions, the, the grief and the sadness that comes with that can be very helpful in you balancing yourself out emotionally and balancing out how you function in the world. So those are Amazing. some of my messages for, for the guys out there or the girls out there listening to this who identify with that and they're like, yeah, that, that's kind of me.
Amazing. Amazing. I want to just give a quick summary and then I'm going to ask you for yes. contact information and your resources and we'll post anything you send me. We'll put that in the, in the show notes. So just to summarize what I'm hearing and what I'm learning today is a lot of information and this is really helpful. I have a lot of clients that I'm going to share this with just actively working with people. The way that a person with this neurodivergence, the way their brain operates is that it's wired in a way that might be different than 75% of the rest of you know, other people, so to speak, but it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them. And and, and the more we recognize that we can hack it, the, the, the way a lot of people come to me and they say, oh my goodness, I just found out I'm married to a robot. And yeah. th there's a lot of horror movies like this. And there's a lot of sci-fi movies where you found out, oh my goodness, I thought I had a wife. I thought I had a husband. I right. People with Asperger's are not robots. They might sometimes operate with a stronger intellectual mind. And just like there are times that you and I might have a desire if we are uh, if we are neurodiverse or if we're not neurodiverse or not. And and we just, we go through mind over matter and we stop ourselves and say, no, I'm not eating that donut. No, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that thing. So there's nothing wrong with being mind over matter. It sometimes can be very helpful. So with people with Asperger's, oftentimes maybe that's more of how they operate, but that doesn't mean that they don't have feelings. doesn't mean they don't have emotions. doesn't mean they can't be good spouses. And right. you know this, this was very helpful just to understand them. And the truth is it helps understand trauma because it, it becomes a wiring and it helps us Correct. understand other people our kids yes. are other kid diverse and they're just they're not every child is different and every person is different and, and so that's also what i find helpful about all this so thank you i know there's a lot of content here and it literally could have been divided into four <laughs> different one hour segments but we really crammed a tremendous amount i hope people will listen to it and re-listen to it because there's a lot here yeah, a lot of cramming. I was going to write a book on this one day and then I got burned out from that. So. I, <laughs> I hope you will because there's a lot here. I wanted to just leave off, first of all, thanking you, but I, 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 thank, you, thank you very much. And, and again, let, let's see what the future brings. Definitely, um, it's, it's always great to have you here. Any you. Uh, Are there any resources that you could leave people with that you uh, want to just mention that we'll put it in the show notes? And just to mention again, how people can get in touch with you, email, phone number, whatever it is. Yeah. So what I'm going to send you is I'm going to send you a write-up of the game Vanilla Ice Cream. I'll send you that Mishpacha article, that story, that Asperger's story. I feel like there was something else I promised to send you, but I can't recall what it is. So if okay. you, if you when somebody back, emails me, we'll if you it. listen back and find it, yeah, then I'll send it to you. Okay. How do we you get in touch with you? There's that book again, which you probably linked to, the story of the dog of the night, which is like a really bit of a heartbreaking okay. story, but well, it really gives you from the inside world. You, you can email me at yisraelkleiman at gmail.com. That's Y-I-S-R-A-E-L. K-L-E-I-N-M-A-N at gmail.com. You can reach me at 732-806-1699. Yeah, and uh, you could text me or WhatsApp me or call me. Perfect. And, yeah. So thank you very much Amazing. for having me on. I had I had a good time. Same here. Um, thank you. Yes. And there was a lot of very good information that is really going to impact and help people. So that's why we're here. Yeah, yeah, that's what's most important. Okay, thank you very much. Amazing. For thank really you so much. Okay, have well. a great day. Thanks for listening to the Jewish Trauma Network. For additional resources, free and premium courses, leave questions or suggestions, or to support our mission, please visit jewishtrauma.com. And always remember, your life can and will be better.